Hey, good morning. This is uh, Family Sunday, which means our four-year-old through fifth-grade friends are joining us in here, and they're actually going to be very involved today. Uh, Hopefully, they got a note-taking page when they came in, Uh, but hopefully, if you got a program, adults, you got a note-taking page too, because it's got two things that you're going to be involved in, as well as the back. You can play along with our thing we're going to do here at the beginning. We're about to play a game, but what we're doing this summer is we're reading and studying and doing a deep dive into this book of the Bible called Ephesians, which is a letter that God wanted Paul to write to this church in Ephesus, and it tells us so much about understanding who God is and who we are because of what Jesus has done for us, and how do we live that out in everyday life, and our goal this summer is to help you dig in and do a deep dive and mark it up as you study the book of Ephesians, but also to teach you how to study the Bible on your own. Well, at Live Oak, we do, uh, um, try to do anything we can to help you do that, and we use an acrostic called SOAPS to give you a plan for every time you read Scripture to think, here's a piece of Scripture, I'm going to make some observation, and then I'll do some application, I'll observe, and then I'll apply, I'll do something with it, then I'll pray in response to that, and then I'll share it with others. Well, observation is a very important skill in studying the Bible, reading it on your own, but also just in life itself. So we're going to play a little thing called the observation game right now. And on the table in front of me, there are a number of items. Some items, like it might be toothpicks, and there might be more than one toothpick. But there's different individual items on here. And so we're going to give everybody one minute to look at it and write down any observations they can. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about what you saw. Kids, I'm going to invite you to come down and look at it directly, but I'm going to share a picture with everybody else. But if you're, if you're a kid, like fourth grade or four-year-old through fifth grade, come on down, get close. If you need to recruit a parent to be a scribe or a secretary or to write for you, that's okay to do. And parents, you can kind of sit on the front, maybe hang back a little bit, try and take notes. Or turn, adults, turn over your note-taking page. You try it as well. We're going to give everybody one minute. Tammy's going to take off the cover. Not yet. You're going to have one minute. So get close to where you can see the table. Squeeze in. And if you're uh, a little bigger, let someone smaller get in front of you so you can see. You cannot touch the things on the table. We'll have a picture up here. How many things are on the table? What are they? And what are the descriptions of each item? You have one minute to observe everything you can. On your mark, get set. And go. There you go. Everybody see? Hey, can you scoot around this way? Maybe you can see over here. And maybe some of you in front, if you could go down on one knee, maybe to let them see over you. You can look on the Jumbotron if you want up here. One minute. I thought about putting like different items we have from the lost and found up here and just kind of killing two birds with one stone, but then the animal rights people would be on me because we kill birds and we're throwing rocks. And anyway, so anyway. What do you see? What do you see? Write it down, or if you've got a really good memory, you can try and memorize it. What do you see? Five seconds, four, three, two, One, and stop. All right. Now, whoops. 
Let me ask you some questions about what we just saw. How many items do you think were on the table? Individual items, yes. Maybe about 15, okay, what do you think? 27? 14, okay, what do you think? 10? 8? Maybe 18, okay. What about, what were some of the items you saw? What do you remember? Let's count them, okay, yeah. Go, yeah, go ahead, Jackson. A Frisbee? There's about 15 items. What were one of those items? A car? Toy car? Five Legos? A dollar? A Frisbee? Sunflower? Candy? What kind of candy? Skittles? What kind of Skittles? The blue type, very observant. That's good. Yes, a football. What brand was it? Do you know? Yeah, I don't. Even, I should know. I didn't want to put it up here. Yeah, Jean. A Bible. What kind of Bible? It was like a kid's Bible. Yeah. What'd you see? Some glasses. What kind of glasses? Like these kind of glasses? Orange. What kind of glasses? Sunglasses, and they were orange. Yeah. What'd you see? A rock. Like like Dwayne Johnson, the rock. Like an actual rock. You saw a rock. Like a, like a rock you find out. Okay, yeah. Three crayons? Okay. What colors were they? You forgot? That's okay. A spoon? What'd you see? A mug? What was on the mug? What color was it? It was green and white. Okay. What, do you know what was written on it? Live oak. Okay, good. What'd you see? One tiger? Yeah. A real tiger? Whoa. No, a stuffed tiger. Okay. Whew, scared me for a minute. Yeah. A ruler. Anything else that somebody didn't say that you saw? Yeah, what? Glasses? A, what, a car? A pencil. What would you see? A whistle. Not just any whistle. What, 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 what color was the rope around it? Do you remember what color it was? Yeah. Orange. Yeah, now my friend who's a referee said it's a pea whistle versus the Fox 40, which is the top of the line whistle. So it wasn't like a special whistle, but it was a whistle. Okay, very good. Now you guys, go ahead and back to your seats and keep your note-taking page out because I'm about to have you do some stuff also with that. So here's the thing. With observation, people saw some things. And one person said, I saw three crayons. One person said, I saw four. There were keys on there. How many keys were on the key ring? Four? I honestly don't remember. But I know in the in first service, some people thought it was different ones. Does anyone know what was the colors of the key ring? It was red. What was written on the key ring? It's hard to see at a distance. It was Shermer High School, which is the high school from Breakfast Club. Anyway, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Anyway, so, and, and, and so, so there's different things you can observe. And, you know, there, there was 20 items on the table, but there were four, four, one item was in four pieces, Legos. Or there were four crayons, red, yellow, blue, green. And so observation is an important skill to have. There's nothing that's going to, we didn't give out a prize, sorry about that. Like we didn't do anything like to award someone who had the best observation skills. But we want to show like observation is something that two people could see the same thing and there were three crayons, there were four. Or you missed, totally missed something that was on there. And so observation is an important thing when you're reading the Bible because what you want to do is if you're reading a passage, like we're gonna, today we're going to look at a passage, you want to look at it and observe everything you can about it. What, what is happening in this verse and what observations can I make and list out as many as you can because the chances are you might just skip over it and miss something. And then, so we talk about observation, but once you observe, 
you apply. So when you apply something, here's the next part of the acrostic. Scripture, observation, then application. Application means to do something with what you saw. Please don't do at the table, especially with that dollar or my keys. Don't do something with what you saw. But in the Bible, do something with what you saw. Read it and then think, what am I supposed to do based on what I just observed in this passage? And I want to give you a tool to help you with that. Sometimes it's obvious when you read a Bible verse that you know exactly what you're supposed to do, how you apply it to your life. What do you do with what you just read or heard? Sometimes it's a little bit hard. So this is a tool that can help you. And on both kids and adults note-taking page is an acrostic that says space pets. Now, topically, it would be awesome to talk about space pets today. What is a space pet? Is it like a, is Chewbacca a space pet? And is it a cat with like an astronaut outfit? Okay, it, it actually has nothing to do with an actual pet or space. But each letter represents a word that's a question you can ask anytime you read the Bible to help you figure out what do I do with what I just observed and read. So each letter represents something. Write it in on the blank on your note-taking page. Is there a sin to confess? Sin is doing the wrong thing. It's really the letter in, uh, center letter of sin is I. It's putting yourself in front of others and God. Sin is to, to miss the mark. Is there a sin, something I'm doing wrong that I need to confess? Is there a promise to claim? There are lots of promises in the Bible. God promises, the most consistent promise I see in the Bible is God promised, I will be with you. So whenever you feel alone, there's a promise that you need to remember that he said, no, you're not alone. I will be with you. So remember, is there a promise I need to claim? Is there an attitude I need to change? An attitude is the way you think about something. Am I thinking about something in a way that I need to change? Is there a command to obey? Sometimes God just flat out tells us, here's what I want you to do. Is there something he wants me to do that I'm not doing that I need to? Is there an example to follow? Sometimes like this is when you're reading a story, and it's a story about someone who maybe makes a brave choice. Is there an example there? Or someone who trusted God even when people around them didn't? Or is there maybe a bad example not to follow? Like did somebody do something that, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do it a different way. Is there a prayer to pray? Maybe sometimes, and today we're actually going to look at a prayer Jesus prayed for us. Is there a prayer that I need to pray in my own life? Or is there something about this passage that should change the way I talk to God? Because that's what prayer is. It's uh, talking to God. And is there an error to avoid? Did somebody make a mistake that I go, I don't want to do that. I want to do something different. Is there a truth to believe? I think all the Bible is truth. And some of it, like, it's, like this, is, this is hard. I don't think this way. I'm not sure if I believe that to be true. Is there something that's true in the Bible that you need to start believing and trusting God with? Is there truth to believe? And then finally, is there something to praise God for? Is there something I just read that would require, should, my response should be saying thank you or saying, God, you're awesome because of what I just read. So I want you to keep that tool out, Space Pets, to help us apply it because the end, we're going to come back to this. And from the passage we're going to read today, is there any of these things based on this passage that we should do? So we're going to study this verse together. But let's start by making some observations. And I'm going to help you, and I'm going to show you a way that I study the Bible it's called verse mapping, where you take a verse or a passage, and you kind of map it out. And so in your notes, kids, it's back here, where you've got the whole passage listed out. In adults, it's at, at the top of, or bottom of your page, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And a tool that I use when I read the Bible, I, I don't, I, I'm thankful they still make them, but they're harder to find. It, it's it's a, a pen with four different colors ink, blue, black, red, and green. Anyone have one of these? 
man, I, if, if they gave frequent flyer miles for buying this, I probably wouldn't go very far because it's just a 50-cent pen, but I buy these like crazy. I love taking notes with it because different colors can help me set stuff apart. You can do it with colored pencils or crayons, but sometimes when you read something, it's good to mark it in different colors to show you there's a different meaning and observation or application. Like, I'll show you how I do it with this passage. And I'll read it out loud, and then I'll show you some ways I might mark this passage up, because this is a mark it up series we're doing. As a prisoner for the Lord, so one thing, if you've already been reading in Ephesians, what you need to know is Paul actually is a prisoner. He's in a jail, because he's talking about Jesus, and he got thrown in jail. And as he's there, he's not just saying, I'll just wait till I get out. He's actually writing letters to churches. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, he's writing them to these churches. And this is one of them. So that's why he means when he's a prisoner, he really is a prisoner. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does that mean? Well, he tells us this is the calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And for me, when, if I was reading this Bible, I would re, in, in the Bible, I would see this passage and I would think, you know what, there's a phrase in the center that I think this whole passage is about. And I would underline, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. That's what this passage is out. This is what Paul is asking you to do. This is what God is asking you to do through Paul. He's saying, make every effort to keep the, and I would circle the word unity with a certain color ink. I chose green on this one. So underline this phrase and circle the word unity. This is what Paul's asking you to do. And on kids, on your note-taking page, there's a place where you can define unity. What does unity mean? Because if this is what it's about, what does it mean? Well, unity simply means Unity, it means one. It means oneness. It means together. It means multiple pieces or multiple people, but they're connected. There's a oneness. Unity means to be together even when you have reason not to be. Unity means agreement even when you have reason not to be, to be agreeable. We were created for unity and oneness. And so what Paul says is make every effort to maintain that unity. Make every effort to keep that unity. And today, what we're talking about with this passage is what really what Paul is telling us is this. Unity among followers of Jesus is required. It's not optional. It's a requirement. It's always important, but it's never easy. As a matter of fact, most of us could say, I've experienced that to be true. Like, life works better together. Life works better when we have unity, when we're in agreement when we have oneness, it even feels better. It works better, it feels better, but it's not easy. And what Paul tells us here, and this is a very interesting thing, what he says, he doesn't say, go make unity happen. What does he say? Make every effort to keep it. It's something that you have that you can lose. Really what he's saying is, it's the unity of the Spirit, that God's presence in your life He's going to bring unity. That's what he does. When you're adopted as one of God's kids, because that's the phrase the Bible uses, you're in God's family and you're a child of God, but you're not an only child. 
And he says, what I want is I want my family to be together, but I need you guys to maintain it, make every effort to keep that unity that I'm building. It's what God does, and with God's help, we can maintain that by relying on him. It's the unity of the Spirit. It's this oneness. As a matter of fact, if you were reading this passage and you're making observations just like there was one football, but there were four crayons, what word shows up here repeatedly? I'll give you a hint. One. Circle it in a different color ink if you have it, or just circle it because one shows up in there a lot. And I'll give you a clue. One of these ones is not like the other ones. The first one, one another, is a little different. But the rest of them, he kind of goes in this little rant or rhythm where he just says, one, 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 one. And he says, one body, and one that body, it's not talking about your body, it's talking about this body, the body of believers, the people who are followers of Jesus. It's the church. Church isn't a building. The church isn't a place. The church isn't an activity. The church are people who are together, focused on Jesus. He says, it's one body, one church, one Holy Spirit, one Lord, one Jesus, excuse me, one hope. Our one hope in this world is Jesus. One Lord, one faith, it's one message. And the message is Jesus. One baptism of saying, I'm gonna identify with God's family and one God and Father of all. He says, basically what he says is this oneness is what God does. And if you wanna know if God's at work in your life, with your friends, with your family, with your small group, with your church, oneness is what he's bringing to the table. And when we're on board with him, we make every effort to keep that oneness because he is our focal point. And he goes on this thing about oneness and one and one and one and one because oneness is the signature of God at work. It's the evidence that God is at work. And it's not just Paul who says that. It shows up somewhere else in the Bible. In Jesus' prayer, right before he goes to the cross, he's praying in the garden and he prays for himself because what he's about to do for us at the cross being beaten, ridiculed, abandoned by his friends and family, and then eventually dying on the cross for our sins, paying for our sins, so he could extend his grace and love and mercy to us. It was hard on him. It's a free gift to us, but it cost him everything. And as he's doing that, he prays for himself. And then he prays for the disciples because once he rises from the dead, they're the ones that are going to take that message to the world. And people will believe because of what the disciples do and because of what Jesus did. And the people who believe in that message hopefully is us. Hopefully you believe that. And he prays for us. This is how he prays in John 17. This is not in your notes, so it's up here. But I showed you here also. This is how I would mark it. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me, believe in Jesus through their, the disciples' message. That's us that all of them, all of them may be, what's the word? One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so Father and Son, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, the oneness that they have, he goes, that's what I want for them. Because it's good. It feels good. It works right. It's God's plan. May they also be in us, here's why, so that, here's why unity is so important so that the world may believe that God sent Jesus, that you sent me. There's something about unity that tells the world that God is for real, that Jesus really is who he says he is. Somehow Jesus said, I've got to pray for that because that's important to that. 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be, what's the word? One. As we are, what's the word? I and them and you and me, so that, again, here's why oneness and unity is so important, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then when there's complete unity, the world will know that you have sent me, that Jesus was sent by God, and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Have you ever thought that the unity you have with other believers, other followers of Jesus, the unity you have, the agreement you have, especially in the midst of disagreement, agreement and unity in the midst of differences, that unity tells the world, when we have unity, it tells the world that God is who he says he is, and his love for them is real. You know why many people don't believe God is who he says he is, or that his love for people is real? Because his kids don't get along. God's children, we fight with each other. And so he says, make every effort to keep the unity. You have no idea what's at stake when we become disagreeable with one another, when we are separated, when we're divided. And what Jesus says in this prayer is that unity matters to him. So much so that he prayed for us to have it. And he prayed others would be affected by it. And he said that when we have it, it'll make a difference how people see God and help them understand the love of God. Oneness is God's signature. It's the evidence that God is at work. So if you go back to our passage in Ephesians 4, we're kind of mapping it out. I would take a different color and I would highlight these things because I think this is what God's asking us to do. When he says make every effort, this is what he's asking you to do. Be completely, several words here, humble, gentle, patient. And then there's this phrase, this is why this one is not like the other ones, one another, bearing with one another in love. And so if I were studying this on my own, I would kind of highlight those, and I would put them off on the side and go, if this is what he's asking you to do, what do these words mean? What does humble mean? Humble means to think more of others. It means to think more of others. It doesn't mean to think less of yourself. It just means think, think of yourself less. You still matter, but so does everybody you've ever seen. That every time you walk in the room, I'm humble, I recognize I'm not the only person that matters here. I matter, but so do you, so do you, so do you. We all matter. Hum and the thing is, we have every reason to be humble because everything we have is from God. There's one God, and it's not me. He gave me life. He's my creator. And he gave me life and forgiveness and love and mercy at the cross and forgiveness. He's my redeemer. So because of that, I have humility. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all on equal footing, equal need, but equally accepted into God's family because of Jesus. And so humble means I'm just going to think of others more. I'm going to be aware of others. Being gentle. Sometimes we think of gentle as not being physical and like hurting somebody. It's that. But you can not be gentle with not just your actions. You can do it with your words or your attitudes or how you include people or not include people. Gentleness means basically I'm going to be careful with others. And then there's that word patient. Patient means I'm going to have a long fuse. I'm going to, be, I'm going to give you a lot of time before I react. I'm going to try and give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to stick with you. And actually, that next phrase, he says, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another, it's kind of a description of patience. Bearing with one another has nothing to do with a bear. Or like a bear. Bearing with money means I'm going I'm to I'm hold on to this and I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on to this relationship. I'm going to bear with you. I'm not going to let go. 
Bury means I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick together, even when I have reason not to. And it's bearing with one another in love. And when the Bible talks about love, it's not talking about you need to feel a certain way. It's not about the emotion of how you feel about loving people. It's about how you treat people, how you think about people, how you act toward people. Love is an action, not an emotion. So despite of how I feel about you, I'm going to be patient, gentle, humble, and show love. And if you think about it, those are hard to do, and unity is hard to maintain, this togetherness, and here's why. Because what we do, and why unity is so hard to maintain, is we usually do the opposite of all these. I walk in the room, and I'm not humble. And it doesn't mean I'm arrogant, saying, everybody look at me. It just means I'm thinking about only me. That's what being not humble means. Being not gentle means I'm careless with people versus being careful. Being impatient with people, that's the opposite. It just means, man, I'm going to react quickly in a a selfish way toward you. And the idea of love is I'm not going to express love to you. I'm just going to express however I feel about you. That's why it's so hard to maintain is because what we do is the opposite. That's the barrier to maintaining unity. But the key to that is to remember that God invited me and challenged me to make every effort to keep the unity that he produces, it's of the Spirit, by being humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. And here's the thing. Those things, he wants us to participate and do that, but he still drives those things. As a matter of what God says, when he shows up in your life, just like with a group of people, the evidence, the signature, the fruit of God's presence in a group of people is unity. In an individual life, the thing he says he wants to produce in your life, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, it's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Some of those words show up as what God wants to bring in our lives when we give him control. And so I want to show you that the main goal is not just to do these things. Those help. But the starting place, as we've said all through Ephesians, the starting place is always putting your focus on Jesus and putting him in charge of your life. Like we said last week, inviting Jesus to make his home in your heart. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 3. So I, I have four, uh, four volunteers already picked out. I need them to come up now, my four volunteers. You know who you are. And I need one more volunteer. That's a very important role. Zach, you want to do it? Come on. And buddy, don't let this go to your head. But what you're going to do, you're going to be Jesus. Come on up. Come on up. You're going to be Jesus. I know. This is not an official title. It's, uh, you're his stunt double right now. You're the stand-in. And I need you to stand I need you to stand right here. All you have to do is stand here and look like Jesus. Perfect. All right. And then John and Gracia stand over there, and Jackson and Maggie come over here, and Maggie stand right on the edge of the stage right here, and Jackson, I want you to stand right here, and John and Gracia kind of, John, get across from Jackson. No, you stand right here, and you right here, and you stand over there by that music stand right there, and Gracia, you stand right on the edge of the stage, and I want, now these are two brother and sister sets. Um, so your brother and sister, you're in a family together, and, and you guys are in a family together, okay? So if, if, if we wanted, whether it be as brother and sister in a family, or brother and sister in Christ, in God's family, in any relationships, if I ask these two groups to get closer together instinctually, and it's not a bad thing, what we want to do, if I said, I want you guys to be closer together in your relationship, be closer together, you would face each other and maybe take a step forward. Are you closer now than you were five seconds ago? Yes. You guys do the same thing. Take a step toward each other. You're closer together than you were a few seconds ago. You're closer together. Now, step back, back where you originally were. Now, okay. 
Jesus, I need you to stand right here. This is Jesus. Jesus, okay? Give him a complex, okay? All right, what I need you to do. Now, I want you guys all to take three steps closer to Jesus. Okay, go ahead and do it. One, two, three. Okay. Are you now closer to Jesus than you were a few minutes ago? Yes. And are you closer to each other? Look at that. You're getting closer together. See, you could think about getting closer together as to walk toward each other. Well, that's great. But if you're walking toward Jesus, you'll always be walking toward others. God doesn't call you just to be close to him. He calls you close to be him and others. Love God and love people. And when you move toward him and you say, Jesus, you're in charge, that's what he asks you to do. But that's really what he's doing in your life. Does that make sense? Okay, thank Jesus and his disciples here. You guys go. Have a seat. Yeah, thank him. So does that make sense? Yeah, good, good. good job. I hope I didn't just square up, uh, uh, make him a confusing kind of picture of, I hope I didn't just scramble like his thoughts of, this is what I thought Jesus was. Now it's, I'm Jesus? Like, wow. Like, anyway, it's Christ in you, buddy. Okay, anyway, different message. So you get the idea, like, as you're in relationships, please be thinking how you can get closer to each other. The best way you can get closer to each other is getting closer to Jesus. And what that will show up like, you know you're getting closer to Jesus and each other because humility, gentleness, and patience, and love will be showing up. But you've got to choose to say, God, this isn't how I feel, but you're in charge. So I will move closer to others by moving closer to you. And this is how I'm going to choose to partner with you with what you're doing in these relationships. So if you're to go back to our tool, the Space Pets tool, we've read that passage. Here's the question. I want everyone to come up with one way for you how you're going to apply this. What's one application? How will you do what it says based on what we just read? And so you might think about with this tool, is there a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an attitude to change, a command to obey, example to follow, prayer to pray, error to avoid, truth to believe, or something to praise God for? And then you go back and you look at this passage in Ephesians 4, and what out of that is your application? Is there a sin to confess? If you've been a part of something that hasn't been humility or gentleness or patience or bearing with one another, if you haven't been, consider your efforts. Have you been making every effort to have their unity maintained between you and somebody else who's in God's family or in your family or in your small group? Think about your efforts. Maybe there's a sin to confess. Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? And you might even go back to Jesus' prayer of unity and say, you know what, I'm going to pray that for me and my family, that we would, we would experience that and just kind of rephrase his prayer. Is there an error to avoid? Maybe you can think of a situation in your life where you haven't been humble or gentle or patient or you haven't been making an effort and you go, boy, that's, that's an error I need to avoid. Is there a truth to believe? For me, the truth in this is the unity of the Spirit that Jesus said he will build unity. So the best thing I can do is just participate with him in that. Or is there something to praise God for? If you're in a relationship of any kind and there is unity, that is something to be thankful for and praise God for. Because unity is powerful. Life works best when we have unity. It feels best when we have unity. It's hard to maintain, but it's God's plan. And it's God's to-do list of what he wants to do in your life. And all he asks of us 
is really this. There's one other word that gets repeated three times in various versions. It's the word calling or called. So I took a different color ink and I drew a box around that. Because he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And at the end he says, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So calling is a part of your life as a follower of Jesus. And so when we think of call, we think of phone, answering a call. That's not that far off. Because what calling, what this means is there is an invitation. It's an invitation where God has something planned for you, and he's invited you to something, but you can RSVP yes or no. You can answer the call and say, I'm in, or I'm out. And what answering the call and living up to the calling, living a life worthy of the calling you have received, is accepting God's invitation. And it's saying, God, I'm going to take steps so to keep focusing on you and our, my relationship with you, and I want to keep growing closer to you, knowing that I'm completely loved, but I want to know you more. And part of knowing you more means knowing what it looks like to live in your family. See, the Ten Commandments, and really some people argue that Ephesians is, is God living at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments originally served a purpose of two things. One, to show us uh, who, who's qualified to be perfect. We're all disqualified, right? No one's perfect. The second thing it shows us is this is how life works best. So Jesus steps in and takes care of the qualification part for, for us. That's Ephesians 1 through 3. You're qualified because of what Jesus has done for you. But this is still how life works best. How you treat, how you respond to God and respond to others. It matters. But that's not the entry requirement. That's just what life looks like when it works right. So how you speak to people, how you treat people, how you treat their stuff, how you treat their family, how you treat your family, all of that matters. That's, there's this calling you've received, but it starts with your identity in Christ. And then it's, even after that, it's God working it out from within, but your job is to say, here's my life and hold it with an open hand. And say, no matter how I feel, Today, I'm God's kid, but so are you, and I'm going to treat you that way. And I'm going to ask God's help to keep changing me to be someone who treats his kids well. Unity matters, not just for your sphere of relationships, but people on the outside looking in. It matters. So again, for you, what does it look like for you to apply this passage? If Jesus said it matters that much, how would you apply this? What will you do today? And, what, and kids, no, 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 no taking page, there's a thing on there. It says, uh, I can't remember how we phrased it. Uh, I said, what, what can you do to help your family and friends have unity? Think of specific things you can do and list them uh, in the space left on this page. So you might write down some names. These are the people in my life. Mom, dad, brother, sister, friends, people in my small group, whoever it is. Write down the names and think, here's what I could do to make every effort to keep the unity. Here's how I'll be careful. Here's how I'll be loving. But the more specific you are, the more like you are to live that out. But the number one thing you need to do is always put Jesus at the center of your life and say, I will follow you today. Not my heart, not others, not the crowd. I will follow you and ask you to change me from the inside out. Let's stand for closing prayer. And... Um, if you're newish around here, or if you feel newish, or if you just like to meet some people with no strings attached at Live Oak, we're having a summer social Wednesday, July 11th. That's this Wednesday at Marcus and Emily Woolley's home at 6.30 p.m. All we need you to do is sign up. 
using the sign-up links on our app or website. We'd love to know that you're coming. We'd love for you to be there, if, whether you're new or you just like to meet some new people. Uh, I invite you to show up for that. That's this Wednesday, so please sign up today. Let's pray together. Jesus, it's amazing that you prayed for me and us right before the cross. You could have stopped it just saying, God, help me through what I'm about to go through. But you kept praying, and you prayed for your disciples that they would take everything that happens faithfully to the world and that people would believe. And then somewhere down the line, people believed, and someone else believed, and someone else believed. And then somebody told me about you, and I believed in you, and you were praying for me when you prayed that prayer in John 17. And when you prayed for us, you could have prayed for a lot, but you prayed that we would have unity, we would be unified, we would be together, even when we have reason not to be, that our differences wouldn't divide, but our focus on you would unite. God, I pray that oneness would show up in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our, with our friends, with our small groups, with this church, with, our, with everything. And God, it starts with us putting you at the center and putting you in charge. And that's tough for us to do. But help us to make every effort to keep what you're building unified, to be humble and gentle, to be patient and bear with one another in love as we answer the call. And this is, this, God, this, thank you for the privilege that we are called to be in your family. And whether it be with our actual brothers and sisters or just our brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray you'd build unity in our lives and the relationships around us this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.